Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for the name of Jesus. It is in your name that we come, Lord. It is in the name of Jesus that we gather here. It is in the name of Jesus that we can approach you boldly. It is in the name of Jesus that we trust. Father, we pray, Lord, that right now you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and that your grace would speak to us again. Speak to us again, Lord. You've done it in the past. We know you'll do it in the future. And we ask you to do it right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you're here today and um, looking forward to spending some time of worship. Here's our plan. Um, we're going to walk through some pass- a passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and we're going to end our service today with an additional moment of worship as we celebrate communion together and look to the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. So that's where this is all headed today. It's all headed to look to the cross of Christ. You see, we exist as a church to point to Jesus Christ in his word. And so that's exactly what we are going to do. But to get there, we're going to go through Ephesians 5. So open up your Bible with me to Ephesians 5. And and let me just warn you about really the next several weeks of our time together. Ephesians 5, quite honestly, is going to get in your business. Okay? It is. I want you to know that. Ephesians 5, the Lord really steps up his call into our lives. I'll show you in just a minute, but I just want to remind you of the first couple words that we sang today. In one of the early songs, you said that God and and Jesus and, and his lordship demands my soul, my life, and my all. Remember singing that? Demands my soul, my life, my all. Well, we're going to be checked on that today and for the next couple of weeks together. By now, you probably found Ephesians 5. Let me just point out some things to you that God's going to mess with. He's going to deal with our sexuality, verse number 3. Oh, you can't get more intimate than that, right? That's where he's going. God's going to deal with our sexuality. He's going to deal with this daily battle that we have in this world today. He's going to deal with how we use our time. That's real now. He's going to deal with our relationships and our words. He's going to deal with your marriage, folks. God's Spirit's going to step into your home, into your married life, and deal with you, husbands, and deal with you, wives, how we treat one another and how we interact each other and, and our commitment to our marriages. And if that's not enough, when we switch over to chapter 6, now he's going to deal with our parenting. Oh, man. Now we're getting real personal with how we handle our children and what we do there. And then even get into the nitty-gritty details of your work life. Let me just fill you in on a little secret. Jesus desires to be your savior and your leader. 
And to know Christ as your Savior, you must accept him as your leader. You, you, can't, you can't say to Jesus, okay, save me from my sins and give me heaven, but this area is mine. No. The Lord Jesus doesn't allow that. The Spirit of God doesn't allow that. We are going to together walk through Ephesians 5, and God's Spirit is going to step into the intimate details of our life. How we think, how we love, how we spend our time, how we treat one another. God desires to be our master. If you're in Christ, you've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. You're his. And as his servant, as his slave, I look to the Lord Jesus and say, you are my master. You are my master. What do you tell me to do? And we will find that in Ephesians 5. All right? So come with me on this journey, all right, as we see God's really master plan for our lives. We see what God has planned for us. And I want to invite you to just reckless abandon. I want to invite you, maybe in a brand new way, to say, God, whatever you want, I will do. God, whatever you call for, you can have. God, whatever it is that you impress upon my heart is yours. Let's not be like that annoying person who hires a contractor. Now, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes here, okay? But I know some of you have done this. Say you hire somebody to come build something at your house, okay? Maybe do an addition or, or, you know, to, to build a home. And I've never been that guy. I've never been that contractor. But, but I can imagine what it's probably like when somebody like me... I reach out to you and say, well, you do this project, and I come onto the scene, and I'm walking around as you have designed this home that you're building, and I walk around, I'm like, now, are you sure you should use a two-by-four there? Are you sure you should use that nail there? Are you sure you should use that, that device there? Wouldn't it be better if you did such and such? Listen, God is the architect. God is the designer. There was a time, and this might not impress you, but there was a time when I was an expert mathematician. Okay? I was a math teacher for six years. And I could outsolve anybody. I mean, any equation there was, bring it on. You know, I could handle it. And once in a while, I'd be up there at the chalkboard. Shows you how old I am. Okay? I'd be up there at the chalkboard doing a problem. And some little snot-nosed kid in the class would raise her hand, Mr. McDonald, Mr. McDonald, shouldn't you? You know, and then just go through this whole wrong mathematical explanation of what I should have done. And I would look at him and think, oh, you silly little child, right? Not really. But how foolish we are. How foolish we can be. The architect, the designer the maker, the lover of humankind, the savior. 
the one who spoke and we existed, he tells us what to do in our sexuality. He tells us how to handle our time. He tells us how to treat our wives. He tells us how to respond to our husbands. He tells us what to do with our children. He tells us how to function in our workplace. And we, in all of our wisdom, right? We, in all of our knowledge, we, in all of our experience, say, no, 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 God. I know the better plan. Hmm. Ephesians 5. Let's, let's see the entry here to God's, really, just his plan for our lives. Verse number 1. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now that's all we're going to talk about today. And it's really an introduction to all of this meddling that God's going to insist upon doing in our lives. But what I want us to see today is that we can truly trust the fatherly, loving care of our God. God loves you as a perfect father is called to love his children. This is an illustration that God gives us so we might just start to understand the love of God. We are called the children of God here in this passage. I remember when I brought children home from the hospital when they were born. You know, I can remember some of those times. And, and you know, you bring, this, you bring this child home, okay? And, and I can remember holding him and her in my arms, or her, not Anne, never twins, him or her in my arms. And, and the love that you have for this little one. If God hasn't blessed you with that yet, um, you know, just, just hear, hear my heart and feel it. I'm telling you, at that moment, there's nothing I wouldn't do for that child. I mean, I would, I would run into just a hailstorm of, of bullets for this child. My wife would stay up for hours on end rocking this baby to put it back to sleep. And it was with joy. Now, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was hard. But it was with joy. But the amazing thing struck me this week. In those first couple days when I had all that love just stored up, poured out to my little baby infant in my arms. You know what? She didn't care nothing for me. Not a bit. I, she, I could have been in pain. She didn't care. I, I could have handed her off to you and walked away and she'd have never known it. She, I, I, could have been, I could have been sad. I could have been filled with sorrow. I, I could have just had the best day of my life and it didn't make a bit of difference to her, right? But see, I loved her or him first. I loved her or him first. And over time, over time, love developed. That's God's love for us. God demonstrated his love to you in this. While you were still a sinner, wanting nothing to do with God, 
You weren't looking for him. You weren't seeking him. You weren't trying to find him. You wanted nothing to do with him. Honestly, the Bible says we hated God. We were hostile to God. We were dead in our sins, unresponsive to God. And he died for us. My whole point today is this. You can relax and allow God's instruction as your savior and king. You can allow him to rule in your life because he loves you. So children, that's us, okay? We are children of God. Let's see this love that God has for us and see it in the passage, okay? Let's, let's, let's take it apart. He writes here, Paul, this, Paul writes as the Spirit of God moves him to write. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. We'll get back to him in just a minute. As beloved children. Well, let's camp out on this word children for just a minute. Children. This is the Greek word techna, and it means born from. Okay, It means come from, from one is what it means. Okay, So we are the born ones of God. We have a relationship with God, but it is a special relationship. It is that of a father to a child. But the amazing truth that we need to remember is it is not true. It is not true, although it is popular to say that we are all children of God that does not align with the Bible. The only people who are truly called children of God are believers. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was having this very discussion about whose children unbelievers are, do you know who he identified as the father of unbelievers? Satan. When he said to some religious leaders of the day who were outside of Christ, he said, you are of your father, the devil. So although we may all get along, we may, all, we may hold hands and sing, we are the world, or whatever they would sing now in this you know, millennia, but whatever song you want to sing as we hold hands... The truth is, until we are in Christ, we are not children of God. So he says here, as beloved children. Now let's talk about how you become a child, because it's really pretty amazing, okay? The first way is through something called regeneration. Regeneration, okay? Now that's a word you probably don't use a lot, but what it means is it means to be born again, to be born again. You were born once, okay? And if you're in Christ, you followed the instruction of Jesus in John chapter 3 when he had a conversation with Nicodemus and he said to him, you must be born again. Now I want you to keep your finger here. I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Now you go back in your Old Testament, okay? Go to the middle, go right a little bit and go to Ezekiel chapter 36, and what I want us to see here as we, as we take this little journey back into our Old Testament together is that the need to be born again was great. You see, radical change is needed. For, for you to be a child of God, or when you became a child of God, a simple improvement wouldn't do it. I was too rotten to be improved to become a child of God. It wasn't a polishing, it wasn't a cleaning, it wasn't a dusting off. It required a brand new birth now 
for me to become a child of God. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel is writing about this dynamic. He is speaking about this time far in the future. This still has not even been completely fulfilled yet even today. But it it, it speaks of our relationship, what God is doing in our lives. And the radical nature of change that was needed. That's what I want you to see. The radical nature of the change that was needed for you and I to be called a child of God. In verse number 24, look what Ezekiel has to say. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 24. God here says, I will take the receivers of this from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, in reality, God is speaking here about his promise to the nation of Israel. But he has has allowed us to join in the benefit of what they will receive. And he goes on to describe that right now. Verse number 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now why do I want to drive all the way back to Ezekiel? Because these are arguably the most religious people to ever walk the planet. These are some of the most moral people you could ever find. Followers of the moral law. These are religious people. These are experts of God's law. And God says to them, for you to be my child... I must cleanse you of your uncleanliness. I must remove your idols. I must give you a new heart and a new spirit. A radical change was needed. When you became a child of God, God didn't just dust you off. He didn't just clean you off. He didn't just wash you. No. He did much more than that. Go with me now all the way forward in your Bible. We'll take a little journey here. Go to 1 Peter. I want you to see what God did when he made you new. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, you can hear it. If you have it, turn to chapter 1. Look at verse 22 and 23. This is what God did. When you became his child. It's radical. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23. Hear this. Since you have been born again. Born again. There's that expression that, that has been politicized that is used out out in the media now, and and, and I even shrink back from even saying at times, I've been born again. Listen, that's Jesus' term for what happened to you. That's Jesus' term. So if you're going to argue with it, argue with Jesus. You and I have been born again if you're in Christ. And look how you've been born again. You have been born again. Not a perishable seed. So seed that goes bad. seed Seed that doesn't last. Seed that is corrupt. No, no. But of M perishable seed is implied. Took a radical change. 
when you came to Christ. For you to be a child of God, it wasn't a dusting off. It was a radical change of your spirit. And God's spirit came and indwelled you and made you a child. But that's not all he did. Go back to Ephesians 2. You get to stay there now for a little bit, okay? A little bit of an exercise. Ephesians 5, I'm sorry. Go back to Ephesians 5. Look what it says here. It doesn't just call children. No, no, it's more than that. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So it's not just that we're children, but it is modified now in a greater way. Beloved children. Beloved means agape is what it means. We have experienced the agape love of God. It means that we are loved by God. And the thing that, that we could go many different directions here to talk about our, our salvation. But what I want to, the first point, we are children, regeneration. Now I want to focus down on, on one aspect of your salvation. What, what God did to make you his beloved child is that he adopted you. He adopted you. Now, now, what does adopted mean? Now, we know what it means in our culture, and that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful illustration of what, what God has done when he took you into his family. He adopted you. But let's talk a little bit about what the biblical word here means. You'll see the parallels, but let's, let's talk about what the biblical word means. It means to place one into the legal position of a son. Guaranteeing one, now listen to this. This is what adoption was. So to place one into the legal position of a son, guaranteeing one, ready? Access, identity, and inheritance. Access, identity, and inheritance. When you and I came to Christ by God's will, John 1.12, not by the will of man, Okay, See, you were born the first time by the will of a man and a woman. A man and a woman decided, let's have a child. So they did, and you were born. But John 1, 12 and 13 says, this birth is not by the will of any man. This is by the will of God. And he adopted you into, your, into his family and has granted to you sonship or daughtership, familyship. And this is what it means. Three things. Access, identity, inheritance. You know what that means? As a beloved child, God says to you, please, come visit. Come visit. Now, I'm not only a father, I'm also a son. And, uh, you know, like all of you, sometimes I'm not the greatest son in the world, okay? You know, I don't call enough. I don't visit enough, just like all of you, okay? But you know something? Every time I do, every time I do, I call my dad. Can't call my mom anymore. She passed away three and a half years ago, but call my dad. Say, hey, how you doing? I'm sorry it's been so long since I called. You know what he always says? See, I'm always a little bit afraid. You know what I mean? Like, I'm afraid I'm going to say, I'm sorry it's been so long I've called. I'm always afraid he's going to say, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you about that. You need to call me more. I'm always afraid of that. He never does it. He always says, oh, Mick. That's what he calls me. Oh, Mick. That's all right. It's just good to hear from you. See, God has given us fathers 
when they have good moments, okay? Now, believe me, I could tell you some stories about my dad that would make your skin crawl. Unbelievable, okay? There were moments where, whew, he was on the edge. But, okay, in those moments, just a picture, access. You are a beloved child of God. He says, come in, to, come in here and talk. I'm not, I'm not looking to spank you. I'm not looking to chide you. I'm not looking to do I just want to be with you. Beloved child, you've been adopted, granted access, granted identity, granted identity. So he looks at you and he says, you're my boy. You're my girl. Come here, you're my special one. That's God's feeling for you, folks. If you're in Christ. See, he regenerated us. He made us a brand new creature. Gave us a brand new spirit. He's working on this heart one day that we're going to have no longer a flesh. And he brought us into his family. And gave us this access. Gave us identity. Gave us this inheritance. He gave us this inheritance. That is heaven. That is glory. That one day you and I will stand before him. And I want you to know when you're there, it's not to correct you. You, If you're in Christ today, you don't go before God as a judge. Your sins have already been judged. They were judged at the cross. Your sins were placed on the cross of Jesus, a fragrant offering. We're getting there. You're going to celebrate that. That's already been dealt with. You know what your moment before Jesus is? When you come before him, you're like that father. Okay? And you've been gone. You know, maybe you've been off at college or off at war. I don't know. But now you come back. And you come back to your dad. And dad says to all of his friends, hey, gather around here. Let me tell you about my son. Let me tell you what my son is like. Let me tell you when he was faithful. Look how faithful he was. He kept going when he thought about quitting. He kept going. That's my boy right there. That's my daughter. She loved a very difficult husband. That's kind of a joke, okay? She kept loving. See, that moment we're standing before the Lord, that's your inheritance. And God is going to reward his children, his beloved children who come before him, and he loves on them. This is who we are in Christ. This is what he's done. But that's not all he's doing, okay? Go back to the passage. It says, therefore, verse number one, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, he has this relationship with us, and it's really one of where he's regenerated us, made us new. He's adopted us into his family, but now he's started this process of love, all right? Now, I'm throwing some theological words at you, okay? God, I just want you to be familiar with them, not be, not be intimidated by them. But this word for right now is sanctification, okay? This is that work that he's doing. Therefore, be imitators of God. Really what that is, is it's a call to God's conforming work in your life. When God regenerated you, he put his spirit in you, made you a new creature, When God adopted you into his family, gave you access, gave you identity, gave you an inheritance. And then he started this process in your life of sanctification. Sanctification. 
Now, this word sanctification, you could translate a lot of ways, okay? I want you to think of it this way. He's holifying you, all right? I'm making that word up. It's not in the dictionary anywhere other than the Lowell's dictionary. He's holifying you. What that means is he's making you holy as he is holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, Peter writes, Be holy as God is holy. So what this means to us is that God, in his regeneration, and is bringing to us, us to him as his child, he's now conforming us to the image of him. He's making you like him. That's what he's doing. So the Spirit of God is saying to you, imitate God. Allow him to holify you. Make you into his image is what he's working out. He's making you. It's like, it's like the model here is Jesus. Walk as Jesus walked, 1 John 2, 6. 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that we are to follow in his footsteps. Verse number 21, follow in his footsteps. So we have had this model, and God is conforming us to him. Listen, little, little snapshot into the wisdom of God. That's what suffering is for. That's what your anguish is about. That's what your heartache is. Let's go back to the father and the child. Okay? There have been times in my fatherhood that something's going on in one of my children's lives. Okay? Something's going on in their life. Now, me, you know, I've been living for 40 some years whenever it's happening to them, okay? And, and I can see, I can see the bigger purpose. I can see that God is doing a work in their lives. And they come to me as child, okay? Maybe it's just a little, little toddler. You know, Why does my hand hurt? Well, because you touched the hot stove, son. Now, I don't go into an explanation then about the dynamics of the transference of heat and thermodynamics and all. I don't go into all that, okay? I just lovingly know. I lovingly know the lesson that's being taught to my son or my daughter. And even in my limited human wisdom, there are things that I'm aware of that they can't handle yet. I remember thinking it would be great if God would just tell me, if God would just say, this is where you're headed. This is what's going to happen to you. Let me walk your future for you, and then, you, then you'll know where you're going to be. Remember feeling that way when you were younger and foolisher, okay? I can remember thinking, God, you just tell me what, what the, where the journey ends, and I'll get us there, right? And as a loving father, God says, oh, my son, come here, come here. Because the truth is, you know what the obstacle was to me getting there? Me. It's me. As loving children, God is working out this sanctifying purpose in our life and making us into imitators of him. One more place in Peter, okay? Go with me to 2 Peter. We're jumping all around today. 2 Peter. 2 Peter, look at chapter 1.
Look what God has to say as he's conforming us to the image of Christ. Verse number three and four. This is, this tell you what, great teaching right here. Verse three and four. His divine power, whose divine power? God's, the spirits, his work. The Trinity here is, is laid out in, in chapter one, but his divine power has granted to us all things. Did you catch that? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do Do you see what God is doing? As his children, God said, you're my beloved child. I'm going to do this work in your life, this sanctifying work, so my spirit will be there so that you might imitate. Now, I'm a human just like you. And I know, I know what we think, okay? I know what we think. So let's, before we transition to verse 2, let's talk about how we think sometimes. So, so we hear this, and we start to get a little nervous, okay? You're starting to get a little nervous. Because you're like, okay, can I really trust? I mean, what if God calls me to do something I don't want to do? I used to have a pastor friend, and he would always say that people don't want to submit their life to Christ because their number one fear is that God's going to make them be a missionary or going to make them go to Africa. And then he would say, ladies, you aren't going to like this, but he would say, or marry an ugly girl. It was supposed to be a joke. All right, you're past it. Okay. So that's what he would say. That's what we always wrestle with. You remember that, right? So that, that's something that we, we are fear, we're fearful of what God is going to lead me to do. Okay. Now let's, let's deal with that. God has called you as his son, his daughter. He's given you this spirit. He's, he's molding you to the image. So can you trust him? Can you trust him? Well, that's where the second verse goes. Go back to Ephesians 5, okay? So walk in love. Walk means your life, okay? In other words, submit your life to Christ, your your daily, everyday existence. Walk in love. And then it says this. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, and, when, and now that, that, that giving is going to be described, okay, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what the Spirit of God is trying to say is you are a child of God. You are his beloved child. Imitate him and you can trust him. You can trust him because he's loved you. He's loved you. And now we have a look at the love of God. It says that, he, that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. I've got to go quick here, so stay with me. I want you to see three things here about Jesus that shows us the love of God. First of all, we, in Christ, we have the revelation of God. We have the revelation of God. 
we are to love as Christ loved. We are to imitate God. And in order to imitate God, you've got to know what God is like. And in order to love like God does, you've got to know how God loves. So we look to Jesus. Jesus is the only reflection of what God is truly like. John 1.18 says this, that no man has seen the Father. No man has seen the Father. But God has made him known. God has made the Father known through his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. So in a great act of love, in a great act of love, God said to all of humans and all the time, in all places, God has said this, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know what I'm like? I mean, think about it, you guys. Just turn on the National Geographic channel. Watch the, the literally billions of people across the earth who are trying desperately to find some way to know God. Washing themselves in the river, building idols and bowing down to him, cutting themselves and hurting themselves and whipping themselves, blowing themselves up so that they might find God. He's already been revealed in Jesus. You say, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I can fully submit. I don't know if I can fully abandon everything to him. Listen, he has revealed himself to us. He has shown us through Christ. But that's not it. It doesn't stop there. Honestly, that could have been enough. It would have been merciful. It would have been merciful for God to just say, you want to know what I'm like? Look at Jesus. And then Jesus sort of gallop off into the sunset and all of it like, wow, God is awesome. But that's not the end of the show. That's not when the curtain came down. Look what it says. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. For us. For us. Substitution. Jesus didn't stop at revealing the Father. He took on substitution. He who knew no sin became sin. He became sin, 2 Corinthians 5 says. He didn't just carry it. He didn't just hold it. He became sin. So one of the brief sayings that Jesus said from the cross, remembering that from Jesus' words only come truth now. Only come truth from Jesus' mouth. He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Grapple with that. Deal with that. On the cross, a substitution, a vicarious atonement, that means in the place of, Jesus became our sin, and the Father said, I cannot have fellowship with you. I cannot be with you. And Jesus, in his full humanity, said, My God, why have you forsaken me? 
What a tremendous moment that was. That's love, folks. That's trust. And look what it says. He gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This, this fragrant offering, we don't catch it here, but it's actually pulling back into the book of Leviticus, okay? Where I wrote down some of the references just, just to impress you with the, the power of this. I mean, I, I stopped writing at Leviticus 1 9, 1 13, 1 17, 2 2, 2 12, 2 15, 2 16, 3 5, over and over and over. This expression of this, this smell to God. That was pleasing. When, when a sacrifice was made. And this, this, this creature that was sacrificed for sins was burnt on an offering. The, the scent raised up to God. And it was pleasing to him. And that went on for 1400 years. The Jewish people came and made a sacrifice to God. And God himself said, it is pleasing to me. It is pleasing to me. It is, a, it is a fragrance that pleases me as he saw the sacrifice of the lambs and all these animals for, for a thousand years. Countless number of animals were sacrificed to cover over sin and it pleased God. And now at this moment, the Lamb of God is sacrificed and God himself says it is a fragrant offering. A pleasing sacrifice. So when Jesus went to the cross to bring us life, new life, to buy us sonship, to win for us the Spirit, that sacrifice was pleasing to God. Why? Because it expressed his glory. It said to all the world, to all the powers of the world, that God wins. And it expressed his love to you and to me. It expressed his love to you and to me. This is what Jesus did. This is his love. Therefore, how, how, do we, how, do we, how do we not do this? Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That, the biblical word for what that is is atonement. Atonement, And I know that's a word that you never use. And I understand that. But I'll tell you what it means. It means that we were separated. We were separated. And God made us one. You can, you can take the word atonement. And at one meant. God allowed us to be brought together into relationship with him. And meant that broken relationship. That's love you can trust. This is, this is counsel you can receive. This is one that we can give permission to walk into our bedrooms. 
We can give permission to walk into our daytimers, into our, into our calendars. We can give permission to walk into our checkbook. We can give permission to walk into our family. We can give permission to walk into how we deal with our children. We can give permission to hand to our employer. We can give him permission. We can give permission because he loves us. Oh, with a love that never, ever ends. In a moment, we're going to celebrate that love. And we're going to do it the way Jesus instructed. We're going to celebrate it through communion. I'm going to just take just a minute before, before our praise team comes and, and leads us in a song. I, I, want to just, I just want to talk through this just for a brief moment. In the corners of the room, there's, there's bread and there's some juice. And Jesus instructed us, as, as often as we come together, we're to do this in remembrance of him. Well, it might be good to know how this is a reminder of him. First of all, we take the bread. See, that bread has been broken out of a larger loaf of bread and offered to all of us. That's what that bread represents. That every single one of us, regardless of your background, regardless of your gender, regardless of your race, if you're in Christ, you receive the same bread, the same Jesus as everybody else. There's no special children in God's family. We're all his beloved children. And then we'll drink the juice. And what the juice is, what God is calling us to do is remember the shed blood of Christ. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so for 1,500 years almost, the Jews saw this firsthand. They saw bloodshed for the covering of sin. We don't do that anymore. So we take the juice. And we remember that it was Jesus' shed blood that brought us forgiveness. Now, if you're in Christ today, I urge you to receive communion today. It doesn't save anybody. Nobody's ever saved by communion. Instead, it points us to what Jesus did. Now, Jesus, through his spirit, warns us that we should evaluate our lives before we receive communion. Because it's not to be taken lightly. And so when we sing a song, we praise God together through music. You search your heart. Be sure you're in Christ. Be sure you're in fellowship with him. And then worship him the way he called us to. Come and lead us in song. Let me pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice, for for the fragrant offering that, that you brought, Lord. And Lord, now you call us to bring an offering to you, an offering of our lives, the offering of our trust, the offering of our worship. So Lord, we want to do that now. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.